Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the ITSM community, or as we like to call it, the fastest 30 minutes in ITSM audio. Hey, it's Chris Tanty, and I'm here with the ever-omnipresent, will be the, uh, the the adjective we use for Troy Dumoulin today. Troy, how are you? Okay, um, I'm great, Chris, but omnipresent, I'm not sure. That's getting a little bit too uh, too grandiose there. Well, maybe it is, but it's still it's a fun word to say. It is fun to say. Yeah. So you're just back from a conference. I am. I was at the CA World Conference, and uh, shout out to my friends and former Pink colleagues that were there. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I was watching. I'm like, oh gosh, Troy is just everywhere. We finished up last week, and, and I threw out this crazy thing because we were talking about technical services versus service-based systems, um, which, by the way, when I listened back to do the show notes, loved it. I threw out this kind of crazy idea of, tell, explain to me, because I don't understand, what theory of constraints are. And I thought, well, let's just have a little podcast where we talk about some different things. So help me figure out why this other stuff is relevant and where it intersects. Right. So let's go back one step and and talk about the difference between a quality system and a process framework, because I think we need to start there and then come back at the question of theory of constraints. Okay. So a quality system versus a framework. A quality system. That's right. All right. So everyone probably listening to the podcast is familiar with Dr. Deming's work, Plan, Do, Check, Act, that circle of continual improvement, you know, the discipline of continual navel gazing and saying, it can be better, it can mm-hmm. be better, what do I do next? Uh, that's, like, that's the concept of a quality system. I get into this discipline of ongoing evaluation and, and continual improvement. Uh, but over the years, there have been a number of different quality systems that have come up with different focuses like total quality management, TQM, the European flavor of that, EFQM, uh, Malcolm Baldridge in the United States. Isn't there like a Baldridge Award? Absolutely, and all these systems have awards. Mm. Uh, Lean is another improvement methodology. Uh, Six Sigma, another one. Theory of Constraints, another one. And they all have various focuses, whether it's based focusing on a specific industry, like manufacturing, or it's focusing on a specific theme like lean on on you know dieting, <laughs> waste reduction. Right. And the key is you can pick your poison. Just like in ITIL, you can pick your own framework and whether you want to go MOF or other frameworks. The the key is you, you need to get into this discipline. They all say the same thing. Plan, do, check, act. I must continue to get better. But I like theory of constraints, lean, and six sigma for three specific reasons when I'm dealing with ITIL. And it's a thinking process. All three of those things you would say are quality systems. I just want to sure I'm keeping my terminology right. Absolutely. They're quality okay. systems because they get you into discipline and thinking process of continual improvement. And because each of them have a, a specific focus area, mm-hmm. I like to combine the thinking processes of all three. Okay. In fact, uh, I'm doing a, a session. It's a shameless plug for our conference coming up. <laughs> Everyone's going to be there, so there's nothing <laughs> shameless about it. It's, uh, it's, called, it's on a business book called Velocity, and I'll give you the, the link for the show notes. And it talks about using those three, uh, and I love it because it's in a it's in a novel format. It's not one of these boring business books. You, you literally kind of go through a, a story with the, the authors. Really? Yeah, and that was based on an earlier work by called The Goal, which was 
by the theory, by Eli Goldratt, who wrote the Theory of Constraints. So it's if you ever want to get through a business book that's not boring, pick up those two. The goal and then velocity is kind of the sequel. All right. Right. So we got six sigma lean and theory of constraints as quality systems. Yeah, and those are just three of many, right? All right. And it they literally give you the defin the the concept of how to measure with purpose and intent, and the process framework gives you the definition of what to measure. So they're kind of symbiotic in nature. Without the process framework, the quality system doesn't have anything concrete to measure other than what you do today, and without the uh, process. What did I say? The quality system needs a process framework. That's right. The process framework needs the quality system. Otherwise, I get into this stale, um, bureaucratic, and it, it just kind of dies on the vine. It doesn't keep fresh. All right. So I, I got to ask my first practitioner radio, Chris, just trying to understand this question. So Idle V three. I was just uh, on a podcast. or not a podcast. I was just on a webinar the other night. We were talking about uh, uh, continual service improvement. And, and CSI almost feels like this plan, do, act, check. It is. So am I confusing the two? or Not at all. Continual service okay. improvement is just, you know, ITIL's attempt to embed within the concept of best practice. A quality system. A quality system. Ongoing navel-gazing, and they use the seven-step process, right? Nice. Okay. So now let's use a, a mechanical or specific external framework to do that CSI. Just like you use Kapner Trego or Ishquad diagrams for doing root cause analysis. Uh, what 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 are those? What did you just say? <laughs> there are specific root cause analysis methodologies, right? That I flash even kind of references and talks about, but doesn't teach you how to do. So there's one called Taproot, another one called Pareto analysis, and these are simply like the quality systems, different flavors for doing root cause. Well. Theory of constraints, lean and six sigma are different methods for doing CSI, different thinking processes. Gotcha. That's kind of the context. I know that was kind of a large preamble, but think quality system versus process framework. You need both. Right. Because so often when you know I'm following my silly online conversations, I see people just talking about the process framework. And and I'm seeing more and more lately. I don't know if it's just I'm noticing it more because I'm, you know, I'm practicing radio with you. But I'm seeing more and more people talk about this concept of quality and value. By the way, I'm not sure if they go if they're even related, but those two words do seem to be bubbling up more. Well, yeah, they are related because you know value is the quality that people want to pay for or willing to pay for. Ooh. Fit for purpose. I like that concept. Fit for purpose because quality changes over time. Your need for quality or definition of quality changes based on what you need right now versus what you need in the future. Gotcha. All right. So at least we got the uh, those two linked together. I was I was kind of hoping or, or at least worrying that maybe quality and, and value had something to do with each other. Now, you, you just briefly touched on TOC last time we were together. Uh, can we start just, you know, bare bones, theory of constraints? So the theory of constraints is, is fairly simple, actually. The concept of theory of constraints is everything that we do in life is the product of a process. There's raw inventory coming into that process. There's a series of activities that you do uh, to accomplish a goal and you get something out at the other end, whether that's, uh, you know, a Camaro, a, an incident resolved, or my dishes washed and in the cupboard. Literally, everything is a sequence of flow, right? Literally everything. Literally everything. There is nothing okay. that accomplished in life that is not started with an idea, some action, and then an outcome. Right. So, so you know, not, not to be absurd, you could apply theory to constraints to anything. Anything. Okay. Now, systemic thinking is we need to think of the total picture, right, mm -hmm. from beginning to end. And then as I think about systemic thinking, I can then look at the 
step back 20 feet here and look at the entire flow and say, in this flow, where are the bottlenecks that are basically constraining the flow? And literally I'm seeing work in progress pile up in front of that task, right? Cars piling up, hopefully not literally, in front of a uh, an accident where the bottleneck has, you know, reduced us down to one lane. Inventory parts in process for manufacturing piling up in front of, mach- of a machine that's slower than the rest. Like Lucy with the conveyor belt and the chocolate. <laughs> yeah, she, was the, she was the constraint on that chocolate factory belt. Okay, all right. So Sorry, sorry. Right? You know me, you say stuff and I, my, my head goes crazy with pop culture. So the, the concept of theory of constraint is that no system of value, flow, can be any more efficient at delivering value at speed than the limiting bottleneck or constraint. It will never get faster. So this concept makes you think about the, tie, the entire system of value and then where in this system are these bottlenecks. It then focuses you on what is probably best to focus your attention on for improvement. Because I could actually improve uh, a part of the flow and still not get any speed to value. Uh, I like to use the service desk analogy here, right? I think about speed to answer as a, a metric for the service desk. And uh, I can measure that with my IVR technologies, ACD technologies, and I can get really good at picking up that phone and being courteous and responsive. So there's no you know, wait in queue. But then I think, what's the process goal of incident management? What's resolving incidents? So I could actually do a huge amount of work at getting the front-end process of picking up the phone faster, but not improve the actual mean time to repair for the process because I'm actually improving one task in the flow that's not the constraint. The constraint is, I don't know, the incidents get lost in the back office when they're assigned to a, a queue that no one actually is monitoring, right? So I'm, I'm improving localized improvements but actually not realizing any systemic improvement. This is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it makes you focus on what's really important. So I'm starting to see where this really does affect, you know, it could apply to anything, because, you know, I know in my own experience, there have been times where if there's a certain type of work that I like to do and a certain type of work I don't like to do, of course, I do the one I like to do first. Even though the constraint, more than likely in my experience, is usually in the stuff I don't want to do. So I'm, it just makes me wonder when you look holistically or at the big, at the, you know, at the big photo you're, you're talking about, and, and all the time people are fixing, you know, and making all the other little pieces process faster before the constraint. Do the people not see the constraint? Or what type of person, I mean, what's that person's job title? <laughs> well, sometimes they, they don't see the constraint because they're not stepping back and looking at the entire process. That's one, mm-hmm. one reason we define the entire thing end-to-end. It makes you focus on the end-to-end view uh, as opposed to localized improvements. But the other time, and sometimes, and this is true, you know, the constraint is outside of their political influence to, to adjust. So they can only make improvements within their span of political influence. So humanist gets into it when it comes down to some, I guess, you know, IT-type work. The reality is we only have limited time and resources to do much or anything, right? If we're going to use our limited resources in the best fashion, the best thing to do is focus on the bottlenecks because that's going to give you your systemic value throughput improvement. Now, I remember... You know, if we can play techies here for a minute. So a few years ago, and I was upgrading my processor back before when I was a Windows guy and I cared about that sort of thing. And a friend of mine said, well, it doesn't matter if your processor gets any faster. Your hard drive can't pump data any faster through 
your cash. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Of course, a, of course a faster processor makes a difference. And he goes, no, it doesn't matter. You can have the fastest processor in the world. The, the amount, the, the speed at which your hard drive is actually getting data back from the processor is, is what's limiting you. And, and I thought he was just nuts. But was he, in a way, kind of talking about a bottleneck that I didn't understand? He was talking about a bottleneck. He was applying theory of constraints. He, the, the entire PC was a complete system, right, mm. of value. And the CPU was not the bottleneck. It was probably overproducing uh, faster than the cache could actually, uh, com- well, compile. And uh, well, not compile in the cache sense, but you know, throughput of data. Right. So yeah, you could increase the CPU and not get um, the speed expectation you would you normally expect. Yeah, because he told me he goes, if you really want to do something, get a solid state drive. And I thought, okay. So I actually took his advice. I, you know, well, I actually pretended like it was my idea when I went to the store. Uh, but yeah, got solid state drive, and then. Even without changing my processor, the whole system got faster. Absolutely. Memory is another one of those things where, you know, that's an often overlooked constraint because we have too little memory, all the stuff is going to swap. So you have to look at the whole system. That's the key. That's interesting. So literally, because of my hardware upgrade experience, I'm starting to understand theory of constraints. And it's a thinking process. It just makes you and focuses you on what's really important. If you had, from a Pareto analysis, the ability to say, if I fix 20%, where do I get the most improvement? Focus on this, on those constraints, those bottlenecks. Now, of course, the moment you actually look at a bottleneck, uh, either add capacity or give it our alternate routing around the bottleneck, what happens in your flow? What will appear next? Another bottleneck. Another bottleneck. You'll never get rid of all of your bottlenecks, but it will give you a sense of how fast you can actually deliver. Okay, that's... That- that that's kind of mind bending. It's the goal is not to get rid of all bottlenecks; it's to manage bottlenecks and accept at some point that the speed of the system will be controlled by a bottleneck. So SLAs, for example, can only be based on the entire system capability of throughput. Now that's something I've never heard someone say. Uh, well, it's true if you think about it. You can never deliver value any faster than its limiting constraint. Wow. Uh, I have another IT example if you want to go there. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, we were working with an organization on operational level agreements. And uh, they were having trouble because they had uh, one operational level agreement with their customers around email restore. And, you know, it's not so much this way, but it was then that a lot of our data was stored offsite in tape backup, right? Right. So their SLA for if you deleted it in uh, one of your email and you wanted it back or you lost your inbox was, uh, I think, two days end to end service. But the problem was that was okay when the inbox was still on site in storage, but if it was off-site, then there was a series of tasks that would happen, right? The person would call the service desk, the service desk would call uh, the storage department, the storage department would have to verify whether they still had that data. Then if they didn't, they had to contact uh, their off-site storage and order the tape. The tape then had to be delivered back. They had to reload that tape content back up into the server and then take that and restore that to the inbox. And then the service desk had to be notified by the storage guys that this happened. And the service desk would then have to call the person and say, check now. (laughs) So that process took, I don't know, five days. So they were blowing their SLA whenever things were off-site. So the constraint here was this off-site tape aspect. You couldn't couldn't get faster than that because that was all that you could provide based on your contract agreement with the provider. So let me play example creator. Because I, I never think I'm learning until I can actually make an example. So if I have an SLA with a customer, and that customer's in a hotel, and I've got one hour to resolve his problem, but in his hotel he only has dial-up versus high speed, but, and I have to remote control his machine. And because it's dial-up, it's going to take me one hour and two minutes 
instead of the three minutes it would have taken me, is the constraint in that situation his location in that internet? Yeah, that's the that's the narrow pipe part of the pipe that you've just hit. So when you're working on an SLA, this is in, this wasn't supposed to be an SLA podcast, but you know that's why it's the fastest thirty minutes. When you're working on an SLA, you've really got to think about the whole delivery process and, and a lot of variables. That's right. And sometimes conditional SLAs based on those variables. So it's, it's true in this condition and not true in this, or there's a different set of conditions when this is true, like the offsite tape example that I just provided. So you have to have more than one aspect of your agreement. The key here is that the, the system will not produce the value or the outcome you're thinking any faster than its limiting constraint. That's the bottleneck. I can see theory of constraints coming into real... You mean being real handy when working on SLAs with cloud providers? It's simply a, a, a good improvement and good definition of, of value speed. Uh, so this is the th- principle of theory of constraints. It focuses you on the right thing to fix. If you have to fix anything and you only have limited time, fix that. Right, and so many people get hung up on, you and I have talked about mixed supplier model. It's like it's, it's, like, it's my favorite thing I've ever learned on all 18 episodes uh, for some time now. And we talk about the cloud not really being that different. But I guess some of the problems I see with cloud, especially when I talk to people at conferences, is they just can't get their head around something they can't see and hold. And if they actually focused on theory of constraints, it would force them to kind of look at the whole value system of a piece of software in the in the cloud or storage in the cloud or instead of just the part they're used to controlling. That's right. Control is not relevant to system speed. It's the entire system components that have to be looked at as a, as a whole. Systemic thinking. Now, see, that could have been a thunderbolt right there. Okay. <laughs> Ross, can you queue up a mini thunderbolt? Just a little one. Okay, we just had a, just the minorest little thunderbolt right there. Ross is good for that sort of thing. So, Lean and Six Sigma. All right. So now, the first step of your thinking process is where is the bottleneck? The next is... Now I have this system of value, I'm managing the bottleneck. There's probably a lot of activity that I'm doing today that doesn't need to happen the way it does. Is it possible that I'm involved in wasteful and redundant tasks? So now I have to put my flow of value process system, whatever that is, on a diet to say what is the way that I can get this value with the least amount of used resources. I can be green about this if you want, right? Mm, mm. So... In some activities, you think about activities uh, relative to you know, what is it accomplishing. Lean has this concept called muda. That's a Japanese word meaning waste that is unnecessary. We've had more new words today than any other episode. 18 came of age. Oh, go ahead. Muda. Muda. And muda. Uh, there's muri and there's mura as well. Oh, but... stop, stop. You're, you're kind of overwhelming me. It's too much. Muda is the important one. Anything that you do, anything that you do has three types of activity. Right? There's stuff that you do that it directly accomplishes something. There's other stuff that you do that you have to do to just make sure it keeps together. It's the administrative glue, the reporting. It's the the non-value add because it's not directly accomplishing a task, but you still need it to keep the the system glued together, right? The governance side of it. And then there's stuff you do that has no (laughs) value whatsoever, and it's not really related to the governance side, uh, or it's you know too much governance gone wild. So you that's called waste. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to optimize the value-added activities, minimize the administrative non-value, so you just have enough and not too much, and completely eliminate the waste. And so when you look at every activity you do relative to the sequence of steps in your flow, you ask yourself, okay, what can I do relative to those three types of work? 
maybe there's two approvals on a specific type of request that you normally have done, you really only need one. So reducing the approval cycle by, you know, 50% would reduce waste and also speed throughput. So you actually can combine theory of constraints with this lean methodology. With, it's, I don't know, I don't want to call it, it's a quality system. Yeah, so you're th- the first thinking process is target and uh, focus point of CSI. The second thinking process is now leaning out the overall flow so that I know that I'm doing just the right stuff, the fit-for-purpose activities, and not over-complicating, over-bureaucratically looking at this. Can we get you to Washington? <laughs> That's a quick flight from Toronto. Because <laughs> I- I'd like to loan you to the U.S. government for a day. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for lean there. It's a target-rich environment. <laughs> <laughs> target-rich environment. No, that, we need another minor thunderbolt. All right, there it goes. Okay, so... I like this concept of lean. I hear people talk about it all the time. It, it it infuriates. It seems to really drive some people crazy because they just either don't believe it lean is possible or, I don't know, there's all sorts of weird arguments I always see online about lean. Simplistically, I mean, we can always get more efficient, right? Yeah. Lean makes you ask the tough questions around waste and what's really necessary and what is fit for purpose. It just It's a thinking process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm i trying to think of other places in my in, in life where you... You could do lean thinking and, you know, I guess, you know, if the economy's bad, you could, you know, turn down your thermostat on your home heating system. Is that lean? Uh, when you go away from, yeah, when you go away from home for work and come back and you program your thermostat to uh, the relative temperature you need at those two different times, that's leaning out your bill. And if I was really looking at the whole system I might want to look at the energy that's escaping from my old windows, and that would be a constraint. Well, actually, repeat that question. The energy escaping from the windows? Well, I'm just thinking of my house as a system, and we talked about leaning out my energy consumption. Those windows. It, I thought you uh, went back to Microsoft. Oh, no, it. no, no. Sorry. Yeah, we're so technical, we can't ever get over the word windows. No, but, but maybe my windows are some type of constraining factor when leaning out my cons- energy consumption. It's certainly waste. It's waste going out the window and you're paying for that waste. So it's a waste you could eliminate. So maybe they're not a, maybe they're not a constraint. It's not a constraint in that sense, but it mm. is waste. So you've actually focused, first of all, what your constraint is in your overall budget. Your hydro bill is too high or your, your gas or utility bill is too high. Right. Now you're going to find a way to lean your hydro and gas uh, utility down, and you're applying lean now in those improvement tasks that you've just done. I reached too far. Uh, well, no, you... you you just went to that second thinking process. That's leaning it out. Yeah. Efficiency. And then, you know, again, here we're, we're up against the the clock. We always do this. Six Sigma, can we, sneak, can we sneak this in? Okay, so the third thinking process is variation costs money. Ooh. All right. All right. I can do something unique every single time. We refer to engineer to order in the sense that every time I come into a problem, I have that different response to it, right? Or I could come up with a standard approach and reduce variation where every time I do it, it's exactly the same. Or in the middle, it's called assemble to order where there's a core that's standard. I can actually, you know, vary within a degree of approved assembly options. That's your service catalog. And, you know, when you're up on the Apple page and you're adding extra memory to the standard system, that's the assemble to order concept. The principle of Six Sigma is that variation is costly and also problematic in that its potential for defect is a lot higher. Standard gives me higher quality and higher consistency and lower cost. So when I look at a process or something to improve, 
if I can come up with a consistent way to do it every time, I'm probably going to do lower the defect, the variation, and the cost for doing it that way. So if I've got three change processes <laughs> in an organization, really, do I need three? Because I'm, I'm basically paying three times, especially if they're using three different tools. So it's better to have one change process that can handle three different scenarios than to have three change processes. Right? So I'm now applying Six Sigma in the concept of reducing variation and variance to improve uh, quality, lower defect, and lower cost. I get it. So you literally can use all three of those quality systems, Six Sigma, Lean, and Theory of Constraints, because the idea, I mean, I guess I'm going to try, I'm going to go for it here. The idea is you could standardize something, thin it out, and then look for the bottlenecks. And then you have performance. Ah! You're killing me! (laughs) You're killing me! Oh my gosh, you know, Troy, it's that time. It's that time. <laughs> it's time for Troy's Thunderbolt Tip of the Night! Okay, remember, Chris, that quality systems such as Lean, Theory of Constraint, and Six Sigma are more than beneficial to process improvement. They're actually uh, symbiotic. They're required. They provide the drive, the direction, and the energy to keep your processes fresh and evergreen, fit for purpose. Wow. And this podcast is fit for purpose every time you show up. Thank you so much, Troy. Amazing, mind-bending. I think uh, I'm going to not be able to sleep tonight. I've got so much on my mind. Uh, Everyone, we will see you uh, in two weeks on episode 19. This has been episode 18 of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephants podcast for the ITSM community. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Troy. Take care. Take care.